Two days after a devastating string of tornadoes tore through a 200-mile swath of the United States, people in Mayfield, Kentucky, gathered at a Baptist church for Sunday service. That church is somehow still standing. Every part of our structure is, is damaged. Ceilings ripped off, roofs ripped off, windows busted out. That's Pastor Wes Fowler. He was in the basement of the church when the tornado hit. We heard and saw the ceiling tiles in the tunnel violently shaking up and down, falling out. In that moment, we got our families and we put them against the wall. And then we got on top of our families and and we covered them the best that we could. I was telling my family, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. I kept telling that over and over. Uh, The truth is, in my head, I didn't know that. It didn't feel like we were going to be okay. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, December 13th. Today, on the ground after tornadoes left a trail of devastation and destruction behind. In Kentucky, at least 64 people have died. On Monday, Governor Andy Bashir said it would be weeks before we know the full extent of the damage. I'm not doing so well today, and I'm not sure how many of us uh, are. I was working on getting the confirmed deaths this morning and realized I was writing on the back of, uh, of notes that one of my kids took from uh, school. And here's what, um, what it is. It's, it's notes on inertia. It means that an object that's in motion will stay in motion. So we're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and push through this. These could be the deadliest December tornadoes on record, but they were also exceptional for other reasons, and they may be a sign of what's to come. We'll explain why later in the show, but first we take you to Western Kentucky. Driving into town, the scene is, it's just overwhelming. Kim Belwer covers national and breaking news for The Post. Right now, she's in Mayfield, Kentucky, and as she's been driving around, it has been pretty grim. In other disasters, like maybe a fire or a building collapse, you know, you see damage in a building, um, maybe in several buildings. And in this case, it really is the entire town. Things have been leveled, old masonry, churches, entire homes flattened, just debris everywhere. Even getting around town was also really confusing because in some cases there are just no street signs left and there are also no landmarks to point to. So if someone tells you to go left at the bank, the bank might not even be standing. And the thing that was really heartbreaking for a lot of residents of the town is that these street corners are barely recognizable to them. Powerful tornadoes uh, ripped through the area late on Friday night and hit at least five different states. But the community of Mayfield in western Kentucky was one of the worst hit. Thousands of homes are damaged, if not entirely destroyed. And it may be weeks before we have final counts on both deaths and levels of destruction. 
Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir says that there are about 100 people who are still missing, but those numbers have been kind of hard to pin down and they're definitely likely to change. We know that in some of these communities where there has been no power, um, no cell signal for a while, it's just not clear, you know, the extent to which people are maybe still alive and haven't been found or people who are unaccounted for and they, you know, just don't know, you know, where they can expect to find them. Remember, this is fluid. And the numbers will change. And sometimes they have, thank God, gone down. Other times they've gone up. Kim, can you tell me a little bit about some of the experiences you've heard from people who survived the storm? Different people around town described taking cover. Some of them were fortunate and they had storm cellars or basements. Other people, they ran into the bathtub. They, you know, ran to someplace that seemed stable in their home. And different community members described waiting it out between five minutes and 30 minutes. But when it came, people described the sound as like a freight train, like a crash. Um, Some of them could feel it. They can feel the pressure. Um, For other people... They described just huge crashing sounds because not only was it pieces of their own building that were coming apart, but it was outside. It was cars and uh, debris and just other heavy items swirling around, hitting things. And it was this moment of incredible chaos and noise and then this strange calm afterwards and then just a lot of shock and kind of not sure exactly how to process what just happened. Everything went dark. In the house, the radio went dead, and we could feel that wind. It felt like about 50 miles now. One person I talked to was Charles Jones. He's a Mayfield resident, and he was able to tell me what it was like when the tornado came through outside his home. We got a church, big tall church, sitting in front of our house because the wind came from this direction, mm-hmm. I believe. And I think it really, really helped block our house a lot because we didn't suffer any damages as far as, you know, Anything flying out the house or something like that, we didn't suffer no damages. But it blew, it blew uh, 10 roofs off the house and all that landed over in our yard. Belonged to one of our neighbors across the street. Didn't notice it till the next day. But I didn't go back outside. What has the aftermath been like for these people? As of Sunday, it seems like a lot of people had already gotten out of town. Uh, There's no water and there's no electricity. And it was really cold on Saturday into Sunday. So a lot of people, if they had family in the surrounding area or if they were able to get a hotel, it looks like they've left. There were still folks who were wading through the wreckage, maybe trying to salvage heirlooms or pieces of furniture that they wanted to keep, especially if their home had been pretty well demolished. One family that I tracked was the Travis family. They were trying to move their grandmother out of an apartment building that had been pretty heavily damaged. It was affordable housing for seniors. The grandmother, Ellen Hawkins, had only moved in a week ago, and the storm had just burst through her window. There was shattered glass all over her bed, all over her floor. Uh, Pieces of the ceiling were coming down, and there was leaks in her apartment. And the family was told that the building was going to be demolished, so they didn't even know when they were going to be able to get back in there. They weren't even sure if they were supposed to be in there at that time. But I was with them as they were going through her belongings and just trying to grab the most valuable or sentimental items because they weren't sure if they'd be able to return. And they were just packing up her life after she had so recently tried to settle in again. Wow. 
That is so sad. Um, can you talk a little bit about the candle factory where we've seen ongoing efforts to try to see if there are survivors? A big focal point in the community has been the Mayfield Consumer Products Candle Factory. This is a factory where there were an estimated 100 people inside when the tornado struck, and we know at least eight of those employees are confirmed dead. Uh, There are at least eight more that are missing, and this factory had been completely flattened. The scene is so bad that the National Guard had established a perimeter by Sunday. It was really difficult to get close, and There's just a lot of questions of what the protocols were like inside, kind of what the employees were doing uh, when they got the notice and and just what those um, hours were like in the immediate aftermath, because what we've been hearing is just terrifying scenes of this building collapse and and people being buried and not a real clear sense of if people were okay and and what they should do next. So real scenes of chaos is, is what people have been describing. What is aid like there so far? And who is on the ground trying to help the people who are still in town? As far as relief efforts, it's been a mixed bag. Talking to some people, they've said, where is the aid? We don't see it. Other people have said there are uh, federal responses on the ground, and you definitely saw state-level response, like with the highway cabinet and, uh, you know, firefighters from as far as Louisville, from Paducah, have been coming in to help clear efforts. There have also been volunteers. We saw people towards the end of the day just trying to go through homes and cut down branches that were maybe precarious or dangerous, clear a path and start stacking all of the rubble by the side of the road. There was a group called Bread of Life out of Lowe's, Kentucky, and they were just coming through with chainsaws and leaf blowers trying to get tree trunks off of people's homes or out in front of their driveways so they could move their cars. So there was a lot of volunteer response, which uh, seemed to, you know, make people feel pretty good. But there was some concern from residents that I talked to that, you know, they weren't going to get as quick of a response or as full of a response that they needed. Kim, where are you going to be headed next? And what are the questions that you're asking going forward? I plan to stay around Mayfield and talk to more residents to find out what they need, what the response has been like as far as everything that comes next for them, insurance, shelter, these immediate needs. I'm also going to be looking at the candle factory because there just hasn't been as much info coming out of that space. And people really want to know for the people that are still missing, they want to get as much information as they can. um, And they would like to hear more from the company. One woman whose mother was missing and was later found said she wasn't able to get any information from the company. Um, And there's also questions from a workplace accountability perspective of, you know, was everything done uh, to protocol? Was there a plan? uh, And is there anything that could have been done differently that might have prevented those eight people from losing their lives? Kim Belwer is a national reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Rennie Svernovsky. On Monday, President Biden approved Kentucky's major disaster declaration, making the way for more federal funding to help with emergency aid. After the break, how these events may be a sign that the so-called tornado alley is moving. We'll be right back.
what makes this tornado exceptional is the fact that it's occurring in the cool season, which is mid-December, and a tornado of this violence and this, this path length is very unusual for this time of year. That is Jeffrey Halverson. He's the Capital Weather Gang's severe storms expert at The Post. I wanted to know why this string of tornadoes was so devastating, especially since, as Jeffrey says, it's unusual to see tornadoes like this in the cold months. So I talked to him about the science behind that and what it tells us that these tornadoes were so destructive in December. So the tornado was part of a much larger weather system that we call a a cyclone, a low-pressure system with warm front and cold front. And that cyclone... Uh, had access to the Gulf of Mexico, and the waters in the Gulf of Mexico are running unusually warm. And that means a lot of energy, a lot of fuel for thunderstorms, and an unusual amount of energy. And so really severe storms bubbled up. There was also a very rapid change in the winds with altitude associated with this storm, uh, what we call the jet stream. And that creates something called a wind shear, and the wind shear generates the spin. So what we had happen was a a swarm of rotating thunderstorms called supercells that erupted in the, the warm portion of this system. And it's thought that the unusual warmth of the Gulf of Mexico and the very, very intense spin energy in the atmosphere that came together just the right place, the right time, and the result was a very significant tornado outbreak. When you say unusual warmth, I mean, I think the first thing that my brain goes to is climate change. Is there reason to believe that this type of tornado was a product of climate change and that more of these tornadoes could become more common, especially in winter months, because of climate change? Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair question. It's one a lot of folks are are asking right now. And climate change does not create a single tiny storm like a tornado. Uh, But what it can do is make the environment more conducive for those storms becoming severe at unusual times of the year and in unusual places. So absolutely, uh, climate change probably had a hand in this, although somewhat indirect in that it created an an environment. It it juiced the atmosphere in an abnormal time of year. And yes, I I think a lot of folks, uh, climate scientists, meteorologists are looking at this idea that maybe tornado season could go later into the fall, Mm. uh, perhaps even into the early winter. And I'll tell you what, the Mid-South of the United States is no stranger to wintertime tornadoes, but certainly not a storm system this this severe. What are other factors related to climate change that could affect the ways that these kinds of storms affect this part of the country? Well, there's uh, an interesting study that's come out in the past few years by tornado researchers that is showing a shift out of what we consider the classic Great Plains Tornado Alley uh, into the Mid-South. So by Mid-South, we mean Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, that region. Uh, And this is a, a fairly robust study with good statistical analyses. And it just basically shows what we thought of as the Tornado Alley, which is Dorothy in Kansas in the Great Plains, is hundreds of miles further east. And it may be a response to climate change. That alone can be a little tricky to answer. It could be related to the fact that the Gulf of Mexico is trending warmer and that's shifting all that activity further east. Well, can, can I just say that that is such a, a scary but interesting idea, this idea that, that Tornado Alley is moving. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's, like I say, you know, it may not be that there's more tornadoes. In fact, these good research studies have shown a slight decrease in the number of violent tornadoes in the U.S. over the past several decades. So that that's kind of interesting. It may not be that, that the numbers of tornadoes are going up or that they're becoming more severe, but there is a shift in the location. And that's, see, that's a little more of a subtle kind of change that people have to get their heads around. What is your advice for people to prepare for these kinds of storms? I think we have to be more vigilant. I think there needs to be best practices put in place with the expectation that these might be increasing, tornadoes might be increasing in in certain areas geographically. These tornadoes can occur in the hours of darkness, which is not typical for the Great Plains. And so people have to be more vigilant around the clock and through a much longer period of the year. And that's difficult to get focused like that. And, and so I think it's a shift in, in, in kind of the societal mindset that this is a, a, a very, very deadly hazard that you almost always have to be prepared for and be vigilant for. Jeffrey Halverson is a Capital Weather Gang contributor for The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Murray Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is mixed by Lena Muhammad and edited by Alexis Diao with contributing reporting from Joyce Co. and Drea Corneo. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>